In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. During this season of Epiphany, we have been reflecting and meditating on about how the Lord has been revealing Himself, manifesting Himself, making Himself known to us, and how He makes Himself known to us, and, and what our response to that knowledge should be. And we talked last week about how the, the response that we are called to have to this knowledge of God, to coming to know Him as our Lord, is to repent. And repentance requires us to recognize uh, where we are going and what we're doing is wrong and that we need to turn and we need to um, face the goodness and righteousness of God and we need to um, walk that path of righteousness. And the, the question of what happens when we understand that we are in sin is at the heart of the lessons today. This natural response that we have when we recognize that we have done what's wrong. The prophet Micah says um, that this is the um, sin of the soul. And that this, when we experience sin of the soul, it's like experiencing a deep itch that we can't reach. Sin is like an itch that is uncomfortable and it's a constant reminder and it's always with us and will do when it gets bad enough almost anything to be able to get rid of that itch. And a natural response to that itch of sin is to qualify it, to excuse it, to make uh, reasons for it, to blame others for it, to rationalize, to say, my sins aren't as bad as that person's, at least I'm not like that guy, or they got what they deserved. Sometimes people even brag over their sin and they try to make themselves look big and brash and dangerous and they um, revel in that kind of identity. And all of those kinds of responses, I think we can call boasting. We can call them uh, boasting in sin. And when we boast in sin, uh, we are in, in some ways scratching that itch. We're trying to take away the discomfort by saying it's not so bad, or by saying it's not as bad as somebody else's, or by saying that we had a good reason for it. We're in some way trying to remove that discomfort of sin. The prophet Micah recognizes that one of the ways that we've tried to remove that discomfort of sin is through sacrifice. And this is a, a natural place that people go. We can see why sacrifice is something that you see in every culture around the world. Every culture around the world has some um, native understanding of sacrifice. Because when we're faced with our own sin and we're faced with what to do about it, we often try to offer things to the Lord. I'll promise to never do it again. I'll promise to make it up somehow. Um, I'll promise to change the way that I live. And we try to negotiate and we try to make offerings. I'll dedicate myself or I'll dedicate my children or I'll dedicate my work or I'll give money to the poor. Or I'll give things to those who are in need. And so this is the kind of um, sacrificial offerings uh, that we might put forth and none of which are able to um, answer that essential question is, once the sins are removed, are we convicted in a change of heart? Are we convicted to change the way that we live? Because again, repentance isn't just saying, I feel bad for what's happened or I feel bad for what I've done. It's not just regret, but it's a recognition of righteousness and an amendment of life. It requires a change of heart and an amendment of life. And that's why the prophet Micah is emphasizing for us here that there is no sacrifice that can be made that doesn't involve 
a change of heart. The prophet says, he has told you, O man, this is nothing new. What is good and what the Lord requires is for you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So in other words, once sin is forgiven, once it's removed, we have to be participating in righteousness. And indeed, we have to recognize righteousness and be moving towards it for there to be any hope of removal of sin at all. And so this concept of humility that Micah emphasizes here in chapter 6, verse 8, to walk humbly with our God, requires a little bit more reflection. Because at first blush we might say, oh, humility, I, I know what that is, I've seen that, or I've tried it a few times. Um, but we have to really reflect on what humility means. And our Lord goes into a deeper understanding of humility in his foundational teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes onto the Mount and he sets forth foundational, ethical, moral teaching. He expounds upon what it means to do justice and to do good and to walk humbly. And he does it in these seven statements of blessedness. Now, if you've been at Jesus the Good Shepherd for a little while, you'll remember that we did a whole series on this in a Wednesday night class. We did nine weeks on um, St. Augustine's teaching where he takes the seven Beatitudes and relates them to the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah and the seven statements of prayer found in the Lord's Prayer. And I commend that to you, and it's something that we'll be talking about more and more. Uh, and this morning we're going to be focusing on these seven Beatitudes and, and really on the first three. Because if you count along with St. Augustine, you find that there are seven Beatitudes and then what you might count as the eighth and or the ninth are the results of what happens in blessedness. So if we follow the path in the seven Beatitudes, there is a promise given to us. So look with me at that on page four of your handouts. So we're going to count. The first blessed is the poor in spirit. That's verse three. The second is those who mourn. The third is blessed are the meek. So those are the first three, right? Because the holy number is three plus four. So the first three are the attitudes that we have to have. The next four are the things that we do. So we're supposed to, in verse six, hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're supposed to practice mercy. We're supposed to be pure in heart. That means to will one thing, the will of God. So when we're pure of heart, we discern the Lord's will and we will His will. Right? So it means we've, we've aligned our minds with God's mind to think the way that He thinks and to be peacemakers. And of course, we make peace through Christ. Right? We offer and receive forgiveness in Christ. That is our job when we go into the world to reconcile ourselves and the world to God and to His ways. So those are the seven Beatitudes. The first three, poor in spirit, mourning and meek. The next four at actions, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, pure in heart, and to be peacemakers. And then verse 10 is the result of what happens. Get ready for this. This is the promise that you're given if you follow these seven. You'll be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yay. Woo, where's, the, where's the cheering? Yes. 
persecuted, right? And then he, 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 he builds on that, right? So in verse 11, it's not a new result, he's expounding. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, he tells us, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because they persecuted the prophets before you. In other words, this is the path of righteousness. This is what it looks like. When we do good according to God's will, we can expect persecution and we are called upon, we are directed to rejoice and be glad for that. But before we can even get there, we have to go back and we have to consider these three attitudes because these attitudes are essential. These are the, the ingredients that go into humility. So back to verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to recognize when I've sinned and I have that itch, I've had that sin in my soul, I've, I've done things for myself, I've been selfish and greedy, right? And now I've got that, that itch, that pain in my soul. My recognition is poverty in spirit. My recognition is there's nothing that I can do about it. I have no medicine in and of myself. There's nothing that I can do to change that. I have no power in myself. Try as I might, changing the way that I think and feel seems almost impossible. What else can I do? And so to recognize that I am without power and strength in and of myself, right? When I think about what things can I offer to God, what things can I give to God, as the prophet Micah explicates, we realize we don't have anything to give. He's given us everything. Nothing is ours, our life, our money, our resources, our family, everything is, is His. We are poor. The second thing is that we have to mourn. And, and I would hold for you that mourning is such an important key. We have to do two kinds of mourning. The first is to mourn over our sins. Uh, to mourn is to, is to weep, right? It's, uh, it's to grieve, right? To experience this grief that we talked about and, and regret, right? That leads us to repentance. We're mourning our sins. We're experiencing regret and grief over them. But more than that, we're supposed to be mourning the sins of others. We're supposed to be grieving the sins of those around us. And I would put to you, if we don't do that, we can't do anything else. When somebody robs us or cheats us or persecutes us or reviles us, our call from Christ is to mourn their sins. Again, the temptation is to compare ourselves to them, to ridicule them, to ostracize them, right? To be angry. The Lord calls us to mourn. And indeed, the only way that we can forgive them, the only way that we can forgive others is if we're mourning their sins. And I put to you, the only way that we get forgiven is if we forgive others. We say it every day in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. We are praying to the Lord every day. It's one of those things that when you come to an understanding of it, you might stop and say, do I really want to keep saying this prayer? Right? We're praying to the Lord, forgive me the way that I forgive others. And the only way to forgive them is to mourn their sins. I don't know how to say that any more strongly. 
or clearly. If there's another way for me to say this, meet with me after church and tell me. This is essential. If we don't mourn the sins of others rather than ridiculing them or condemning them or comparing ourselves to them in some other way, we will not be able to forgive them and we will not be forgiven. Blessed are the meek. To be meek is to put up no defense. To say, you're right, I messed up. I've got no excuse. I've got nothing to excuse myself. I've got no reason to offer that would make what I did right. I did what was wrong. I have no defense. My help is in the name of the Lord, who has made heaven and earth. We do not enter into any kind of bargain. We enter into any, no kind of excuse. We freely and openly admit what we've done. And so when we're poor in spirit, when we mourn our sins, and we are meek in recognizing our lowliness, now we have the three things that come together for a humble spirit, for humility, for a humble attitude to make ourselves low enough to enter into the gates of heaven because the gates of heaven are low and narrow and cross-shaped. That means that we can only get in through the narrow door of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and he is lowly and meek and he brought nothing with him when he became man. We don't get to take anything with us. Nothing to boast. No prospect, no property, no degree, no station, no education or commendation, nothing. We can only enter in in the loneliness of Christ himself. And it is a narrow, a narrow gate. And so when we have lowered ourselves and humbled ourselves then we are ready to be focused upon He who is good, upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're ready to recognize what it is that He has done and the way that we are being saved. As St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 18, he says, we are being saved. We have been saved, we will be saved, we are being saved, we are being transformed, we are being made new. And he shows us how if we try to explain this to the world, we're going to think that we're crazy. What, be reviled and persecuted? Uh, no thank you. You think that's wisdom, that sounds like crazy talk to me. We're going to explain something that the rest of the world is going to think is confused. God became man. And what St. Paul shows us is that that transformation of heart and mind is done by Christ. He is the one who calls. He is the one who chose. He called and chose every one of us. And every person who in the future comes to Jesus the Good Shepherd will be chosen and called by God. Not by you and me. We don't do the choosing and the calling. God does. 
And the miraculous that we have seen that Jesus the Good Shepherd over and over again is that the Lord is calling those who are in need. He is speaking to them. He is revealing himself to them. And our job is to say, that's my God. He is the one who saves. He is the one who loves you. He is the one who is gracious. He is the one who has given himself. He has given his Holy Spirit. He has filled his people. He will bring grace. He will provide mercy. He will give us peace. He will give us his will. He will transform our hearts and minds. He will do everything, everything to make us whole and sound and to bring us into his kingdom. We are given the call and power to boast in his greatness, to boast of his goodness, to boast of his love, to boast of his mercy and strength. May we boast in the name of the Lord this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.